0: Chapter 18, this evening, by the way, uh, the uh, bumper stickers related to the Harvest Crusade uh, coming up August 24th to the 26th, so let's see, May, June, July, wow, okay, so here we are, three months, right? And uh, so these are available out in the Fellowship Hall, uh, on the information counter, also at the tape uh, sales and all that whatever that's called now, um, counter and all to grab one, put it on your car, and uh, let the, start to let the community, the surrounding region know about that crusade in addition to a lot of other things that are going to be uh, happening. So help yourself to one of those, get it on there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You got yours. I saw it. Okay, but listen, you lost your reward. But anyway, it's very, very... Very nice, Patricia. Okay, Uh, Exodus chapter 18. You didn't lose your reward because I brought it up. But uh, anyway, good job. In Exodus chapter 18, the children of Israel have now been uh, delivered or redeemed from Egypt somewhere between one and two months. And so that gives us kind of a feel uh, for... Uh, what's going on here, the length of time. They're growing in their personal relationship with uh, the Lord. They knew about His existence. They knew Him as the God of their fathers and the patriarchs and all. But to, to know Him personally, to know Him and His work in their lives day in and day out, all of that is happening very, very quickly in their lives. And Jethro... The priest of Midian, uh, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for the children, uh, for Israel, uh, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so uh, Midian is, you know, uh, the distance of the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, away from Egypt, and uh, so uh, all of the events of the plagues and different things that uh, resulted in the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Well, word of that, as you might imagine, spread in all directions. You know, you can't believe what is happening the God of these uh, Israeli slaves or Jewish slaves and what God has done to bring them out, and so. Word uh, evidently making its way over land uh, comes to jethro and, uh, 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 and and he becomes aware of it and then jethro moses 's father in law took Zephora, which was jethro 's uh, daughter, and uh, moses 's wife uh, he took her After she, uh, he, Moses, had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he, Moses, said in naming Gershom, one of his sons I have been a stranger in a foreign land and the name of the other was Eliezer for he said the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh so he named both of his sons off of uh, significant events that were happening in his life at that time remember Zephora was going to Egypt with Moses and uh, They had this um, uh, disagreement, Uh, she was less than supportive, let's put it that way, uh, of his... Uh, desire for uh, need actually for the circumcision of their son in fact he was uh, almost dying as a result of the judgment of the Lord upon him how is he going to go out and speak for God to these people if he's not willing uh, to keep uh, you know the right of circumcision that had been commanded to the children of Israel and so um, evidently uh, on the other side of that disagreement he realized she is not going to be much of an asset on this journey and uh, obviously it's too much for her she's kind of probably weighing over her head spiritually for what's surrounding you know serving the Lord in this way sends her back with the boys uh, back home so they've been separated um, you know for a period of some about a year nine months to 14 months separated from each other now they come back together and Jethro Moses's father-in-law came with Moses' son and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, "Uh, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. And so he evidently, as they get closer to where Moses and the children of Israel are encamped, sends word ahead, we are on our way. And uh, just so he wouldn't just pop in one morning and and, uh, surprise them. And so Moses went out, as, as they came into the camp, went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. Now remember, Moses is 80 years old, uh, but he's just, he's just the boy uh, in in this household. The patriarchal society, the oldest male, head of the household and all. And so this was a standard Middle Eastern greeting uh, of the younger toward the older. He's not bowing down and worshiping him anyway. It's a sign of uh, a way of showing respect kissed them in that Middle Eastern way, and then they asked each other about their well-being, and then they went into the tent. So you can see all the kissing and the bowing, and how you doing, and clutching one another's shoulders perhaps and all, and and then they went into the tent for a more extended uh, discussion. And Moses told his father-in-law, All that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So uh, Jethro had been picking up probably bits and pieces of the story, you know, by messenger and this kind of thing. Now Moses is able to give him the full account. And notice as uh, Jethro listens to it, his reaction. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptian. So the joy, and then Jethro said, blessed be the Lord, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under uh, the hand of the Egyptians. So he gives praise uh, to the Lord. Now I know, he declares, that the Lord is greater than all the gods so he is uh, uh there is some reason to believe that he is already uh you know involved on some kind of pre-law old testament relationship uh with God but if not uh it it, it is you know very much you could look and say he is uh, becoming a believer in, in the Lord at this particular point in time. So it's not the highest confession concerning the Lord, but uh, pretty good for those days. I know that the Lord is greater than all of the gods. Now, being a priest of Midian, for him to say that, that the Lord is greater than all of these other gods, would be an acknowledgment on his part that uh, everything is inferior to the Lord. So it can be viewed as a... Uh, you know, a deep expression of, of worship toward the Lord. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, He was above them. So, and whatever, however, Moses kind of relays the account of the ten plagues, the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, uh, he communicates to Jethro that not only did God deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, but that it was at the same time a judgment upon the gods of Israel and exposure of their weakness. And, and Jethro gets it. And then Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, took a burnt offering and uh, other sacrifices to offer to the Lord. And Aaron came with all the elders um, of Israel, to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. So he gives this uh, Praise to the Lord, uh, he makes this great uh, confession concerning the Lord, then he offers a burnt offering along with some other offerings, and one of the reasons that people believe that if he wasn't a believer in the Lord prior to this, that he becomes that at this time, is that a burnt offering in the ancient world, and it will become uh, more detailed when God gives Moses the law of Moses, a burnt offering was an offering of consecration. Uh, they would take the animal and burn it in its entirety after it had been killed obviously and and, and sacrifice it, it would be burnt in its entirety on the altar, completely consumed nothing left and given to the worshippers or the priest, completely consumed, so when a person offers a burnt offering to the Lord in the scriptures, it is saying I want my life to be I, I, my life is completely yours, I freshly consecrate the entirety of my life to you and your purposes and so this is what he's doing behind that there were other offerings that were offered to the Lord that the worshipper could then take a portion of it and eat it and he apparently uh, takes that calls a feast for all of the elders of Israel to come in with Aaron, Moses' brother, and they have this great feast before uh, the Lord. So nothing like some good grub, you know, (laughs) and and just, you know, Lord, you're too much and all all of this, and then a good meal together uh, with the people of God. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So picture Moses um, sitting in some little chair somewhere, maybe with some kind of a a shade covering over it, and he is sitting there judging the people, and what he's doing is uh, basically counseling them. Uh, if they had kind of a, an incident happen with their neighbor in the other tent or, you know, and or this kind of a thing, they lent money over here and then what about this? And all these different things that can happen between two to three million people on the largest camping trip in human history. Um, so all of these things are going on and when they wouldn't know, okay, what's fair and what's right to do in this situation, they would come to Moses and Moses would then uh, determine what was right and wrong and what was the judgment in the light of God's Word to them. And so all of these kind of cases were coming to him. Can you imagine two to three million people and one counselor? Oh, why? I need a drink of water just thinking about it. I mean, that just tires you out. It is. I mean, it is a prescription for burnout. No one can sustain that kind of a load. And, and not only is Moses in danger of being burnt out by that kind of a load. You, no, one counselor can't even make a dent in the counseling, judgment, helping, talking mode of that many people. But it's unfair to do the people. They're just lined up forever, and you get right there within five people, and then the sun goes down, and you've got to start all over again the next day. And so Jethro's watching Moses do all of this, and, and I'll tell you something, you've got to give Moses credit. Um, he does have to make some changes, and he's going to make some changes. But you've got to give him credit for being willing to work hard. <laughs> he's willing day in, day out, sun up, sun down to, you know, take on this task. But it's not the right way to do things. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's, he's got the right heart, and he's got the willingness and everything, but he needs a little help in, in getting this thing a little more productive. And uh, so there he is, the people coming from before him from morning until evening. And so when Moses's father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, I like it in the old King James, it says, all that he did to the people. Because <laughs> at this point you're doing something to them. Uh, They might be a little testy by the time they get into the counseling session. So they saw all the things that he did for the people. He said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you, and here are the two key words, why do you alone sit And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And so, uh, you know, look at this one person taking on all of that uh, responsibility. I mean, how inefficient uh, could something uh, possibly be? And so, you ask me why I do this. I sit here and they come to me. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty... They come to me. I judge between the one and the other. I make known the statutes of God and his laws. I apply God's law to the situation. They then understand what God's will is in it. They leave, and then the next person uh, steps up. And so Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. This is known as clarity. It's very good in a counselor. And uh, he's counseling his son-in-law at this point. Both you, and here's why it's not good, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. Moses, there's no longevity in this. I mean, hip, hip, parade for your attitude and your willingness to work hard and all of that. But this is going to kill you. And it's going to wear the people out too. It's, it's just not the best way to, to handle um, the situation. And so you'll surely wear yourselves out for this thing is too much for you, you are not able to perform it by yourself. And uh, so, Lord uh, Moses, it's just way too much for one person to do. Then he gives him some counsel. He said, now listen to my voice, I'll give you counsel, and God will be with you. He's saying, I'm speaking for God, but later on he's going to say, you can decide whether it's from God or not. Um, uh, So he qualifies it um, in that way. He said, "Um, I'll give you counsel, and God will be with you. Here's what you need to do. Number one, stand before God for the people that you may bring the difficulties to God. Moses, what you need to do, instead of sitting out there and doing this and and being reactive to all of the problems that are happening among these two to three million people, as the kind of head leader that God has called to in this thing, you need to spend your time uh, much more productively in praying for them, interceding for them, heading off some of these problems through intercession that are occurring uh, within their group. So, spend your time now interceding, praying for the people, number one. And then uh, he said, number two, and you shall teach them the statutes and the law and show them the way in which they must uh, walk and work. Uh, at Show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So number two, he says, instead of this counseling, this incredible investment in people, one-on-one and one-on-two, you need to teach them the statute. So more people know the Word of God than just you. And if they know the Word of God for themselves, then they won't be needing to come to you to know what God says to do in the situation. And, I mean, even tonight in our Bible study... This is exactly what's happening here tonight. As, you know, Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out, different Bible studies through the week, we're growing in our own knowledge of the Word of God. As we grow in our knowledge of the ways and the will of God, then I'm not as dependent on uh, somebody else to bring every little thing to them. Something happens and I go, I know how what God says about uh, dealing with that. And so it spreads the weight uh, among the people. They're, they're trained now. Uh, to know what the Word of God says uh, for themselves, to then apply it to their own lives. Then number three, he said, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. Uh, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them uh, place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds rulers of fifties and rulers of tens and then let them judge the people at all times and then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge and so it shall be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you and so he says to Moses in essence you need to delegate a little bit and, uh, and sometimes you know you not everybody's good at delegation and uh, Moses apparently didn't even enter his mind on this kind of thing he says what you need to do is you need to find a certain Caliber of man in, in, in the midst of, of these people, and then let them, let people come to them with their issues. And uh, as they come to them with the issues, if they can answer them, they have the knowledge and, of the Word and all to answer that, then that's that much less that comes to you. So you've got uh, men that are over the ten, over the hundred, over the thousands. So here's a person comes in, asks the leader of the ten this question. He answers it. The pr- it's settled on that, that level. Okay, well, I, that's right. The Word says that, and this is what I'm supposed to do. If he hits it and the guy that's over the ten goes, wow, beats me, and there's nothing wrong with saying, in that as a counselor if I don't know what to say don't bluff well you know uh, the Pythagorean theorem says that uh, you know if you take and, and, and you just start and, and it reminds me of the internal combustion engine because there's the thing and, and you talk for 45 minutes and and bluff them and they go I don't understand a thing that is a spiritual person I just talked to I, I didn't understand a thing he said But but there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know what to do with that but I'm going to refer you to someone who can. Goes to the guy that's over the hundred. If he hits a thing and says, Wow, I don't have the foggiest idea what what God's Word says about that either, he refers him to the thousand. And it keeps going up until someone takes care of it. And only the hardest problems then go to Moses. Now don't look at Moses and say, What a slacker, you know. I mean, all he's got is just what comes through the grid and comes up to him. It's not true. Because though he is making fewer decisions, he's making the hardest decisions. Uh, the buck is stopping with him in the Lord there in that place. So everything Moses is dealing with, he's dealing with a lot less issues, but everything he's dealing with, really big things. And, and that's the way the structure was to be set up. Now the men that, he, uh, mo- that Jethro said, these are the kind of men you need to put in place, uh, and he describes them there. Mm, it was here a minute ago on my page. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. There they are, right there. Okay, so able men, and uh, that means people that are able to counsel. Uh, they have a gift. They have an ability to rightly divide the word. You know, and they have, and they like people. Uh, they like to counsel people. Like to help people in that way. Um, there are some people that just say, listen, give me something to do as long as this doesn't involve people. I love people, I just can't be around them. So they would rather, you know, dig a ditch for a hundred yards in hard pan and, uh, and, and be alone and do something physical than deal with people's problems. It's not in them. They don't have a gifting and calling to it. So it needs to be someone who likes people, likes this kind of thing. They have a gifting toward it. They need to be uh, men who fear God. And no one should ever counsel anybody related to the Word of God that does not fear God more than the person that they're counseling. Uh, Otherwise, there's going to be big problems on that. There needs to be that fear of God. Men of truth, they know the Word of God, they're living the Word of God, they will tell people the truth no matter what. No matter how hard or easy it is for everybody to hear uh, what God's Word has to say about the situation, they need to hate covetousness. In other words, they're bribe-free. And I think in today's age, you know, like a local church, not too many people come in and say, listen, i got a council succession, my wife's coming in. Here's just a little gift for you. got a thousand bucks in an envelope. You know, kind of. People don't really come in and bribe us a, a person in that kind of a way. Sometimes it's flattery or different things like that. And the person has to be, uh, you know, willing to withstand that kind of thing and no matter who a person is no matter what they say, no matter what they do I'm going to give them the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth Uh, so help me God so that was to be the quality of the person it was put in that position and the authority that was then, then uh, given to them. If you do these things, Jethro says, uh, and God so commands you, in other words, you can check it out with God. I'm not just telling you to believe me. You take this to God and see if it isn't uh, the right way to, to go. Then you will be able to endure and all this people. Moses, it's good for you. It's good for the people. That's, that's the intent behind it. And all these people will go to their place in peace. Moses said, I am I'm the grand poobah here, you know. Fred and Barney recognize that I am and, and the whole thing and I don't have to listen to you. You're just a nobody from Midian and all. I'm the guy that God used to take these people out of Egypt. I don't have to listen to you. doesn't do that. Moses, very, very teachable. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said, which tells us he sought the Lord and he recognized that he had, uh, the, peace of, uh, he had the peace of the Lord on it. Now, some people look at this and think Moses makes a big mistake here. I, I don't see it. I don't, I, I don't see it. I don't agree with it. In fact, Moses is later going to talk as he lays out the law and speaks to the children of Israel. I think it's in Deuteronomy and he talks about this whole incident, and he talks about it as something very, very favorable, not as a mistake that he had made in any way. So the Lord was the Lord was in this. Moses recognized it, and he implemented it. And it's funny how the Lord can lead us in life. I mean, sometimes we can be in a situation that we are so close to. I mean, it, it, I mean this. Um, uh, Jethro, I mean, do you have to be a graduate of MIT to come up with this solution? I mean, it's like, almost like common sense on on how to set up a structure here, a little bit on things. But Moses is so close to it, he can't see it. He, he just, he can't, he can't get it, or just the way that he thinks and all doesn't, doesn't happen that way. You ever had a discussion like this? I hope you have. Um, where you're talking about uh, service to the Lord or something related to the Lord or you're looking at a situation, wisdom from God, on some kind of a deal and maybe you've got a group of friends or something in an office or you've got them in your home or something. You start to bat the thing around and all and it just looks like this gigantic, uh, insolvable problem to you and then some guy on the couch goes, Well, you know, I mean, what I would do is I would just XYZ. And it's like somebody just hits you with a board. Say, so how, how could I not see that? You know, to, of course that is the solution to it. And sometimes the Lord just gives revelation that way. And then he bears witness in our heart that, yeah, that, that's what, how I want it to, to work. And that revelation's a gift of the Spirit, and, and, uh, and he uses it sometimes uh, to lead us. And uh, so this is how Moses uh, takes all of that. He chose able men out of all of Israel made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And so they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. And then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way back to his own land of Midian, chapter 19. And in the third uh, month after the children of Israel Uh, had gone uh, out of the land of Egypt so they've been out now somewhere between uh, two to three months on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai for they had departed from Rephidim had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness and so Moses camped there uh, Israel camped there before the mountain now, chapter 19 is a very very interesting chapter a very important chapter because chapter 19 records the events that prepare the way for God to give to the children of Israel uh, the Ten Commandments very important to realize number one by the time God gives the children of Israel the Ten Commandments he has already past tense redeemed them from the bondage of Egypt he has already begun a past tense a personal relationship with them only after having done those two things does he now give them his law so that in obeying his law as members of his family or citizens of his uh, kingdom, they would become what was known in the ancient world as uh, servant people of the king. So that as they would, when a, when a group of people would be redeemed by a king in those days, made the servants of a king, He let's say he buys them, he purchases them in the same way that God bought them and brought them out of Egypt. He would take and buy them. They are already, his. This group of 10,000 servants, they belong to him. He's paid uh, for them. Uh, He now begins a personal relationship with them. But the very next thing he would do with them is then tell them, these are the laws of my kingdom. These are the laws of my household. This is how we conduct ourselves in this family, in this kingdom, no matter. How How people who are servants of other kings in this world conduct themselves and they would then lay out those laws or those rules that a servant that would then uh, keep and that's basically what's happened God has redeemed them out of Egypt they are his they have a personal relationship uh, with him and now he says this is how we're to conduct ourselves as members of my family and my kingdom now uh, in the world so nobody confuses you with with, uh, you know, everybody else that's in the rest of the world. When he gives the law of Moses to Moses and the children of Israel, they were already in a covenant relationship with God. Uh, That was already in place when God gave them the law. And that covenant relationship began all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 he chose the children of Israel way back then established a covenant relationship with them the Lord said to Abram get out of your country from your kindred from your father's house to a land that I will show you I will make a great nation of you and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you I will curse him who curses you and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed so they're already chosen all the way back in Genesis he had chosen them the book of Deuteronomy says not on the basis of the fact that they were the most fantastic easy to get along with most holy and righteous people in the world but he chose them on the basis of grace Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7 the Lord did not set his love upon you Moses said to the Jews "...nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to our fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." And so, He'd already chosen them, He'd already chosen them on the basis of grace long before he gives them the law. Here's the point of it, and it's a super important point, or I wouldn't uh, belabor it. Well, yeah, I might, uh, but I'm not this time. So, So the critical point is this. God never intended the keeping of the law of Moses as a means of becoming saved. That was never true, it's just not a bunch of people under the New Testament and the New Covenant saying, God never intended that the law of Moses would be a way of salvation in the face of the teaching of the Old Testament. It's not true. It was never true about uh, the law of, of Moses, that by keeping it somehow good enough on a class curve on planet earth, I could somehow work my way into heaven. He gave the law to them in order that in the keeping of it, their lives would be different from those who didn't know Him and that, they would, and that the people that didn't know Him would learn of God's existence by watching our lives and then desire to have a relationship with Him also, where people that are in other kingdoms would look over and look at the life that we have under our king and say, is there a way out of this to get over into this? That's the idea. The quality of life would be so superior in God's kingdom that it would create that kind of a, of, of a hunger in people's lives to leave where they are and come back. Now, the Jewish religious leaders, they would make a mess of all of this, all the way up until the time of Jesus. And they were declaring, many of them anyway, that a person is saved and has a personal relationship with God solely on the basis of being a descendant of Abraham. Abraham. Disregarding the fact that if a person claimed to have a true relationship with God that person ought to also their life ought to also be characterized by obedience so this idea of I'm on my way to heaven I please God because I'm a Jew and I'm a descendant of Abraham and none other than you know the wonderful uh, zealot John the Baptist I mean denounces that and uh, you know when they they, they come and uh, the religious leaders and all and they're boasting in the fact that we're going to heaven on the basis of our, our physical lineage or or that kind of a thing and he said to the multitudes John did that came out to be baptized by him brood of vipers he's got to read some books on the seeker sensitive uh, movement so brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come and therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself we have Abraham as our father for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones the second uh, wrong idea that the Jewish religious leaders uh, of Jesus' time, what it had all developed into, they had the mistaken idea that everlasting life was found in keeping the law of Moses. What shall I do, as as the lawyer we saw this morning said to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit everlasting life? Well, That question was a product of the the religious teaching uh, of the day that you could do it by keeping the law to a certain degree and you'd get into heaven so so the point of it law of Moses as we head into it never given as a means by which a person might be saved by keeping it not even from the beginning of the giving of it was that God's uh, intent for the law of Moses it was given to a people who were already in covenant relationship with God. They had already been chosen by Him. They were already in a personal relationship with Him, so that then in living in obedience to that law again, God would create a thirst in the peoples of the world to then come and desire that relationship uh, for themselves. And so that kind of sets the the uh, groundwork, you know, and so much of the whole Old Testament and certainly even into the New Testament, a discussion on the law, why aren't we under the law, was the law a means of salvation, we see right from the beginning, uh, it's, it's not that complicated, uh, though... Um, I probably made it so but uh, it it isn't it's easier everything's easier than how I put it just remember that it's all easier so uh, let's pick it up here in verse 3 and Moses went up to God is there their camp uh before the mountain in, in, in the wilderness of Sinai, he went up to God, and the Lord said to him from the mountain, saying, "Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to uh, myself." And so he uh, speaks to them. He reminds them of their recent history with him. He reminds Reminds them of what he had done uh, to the Egyptians. He reminds them of how uh, he had, uh, like an eagle, one of the most majestic things to watch in life, is an eagle soaring, you know, the power and and all, and how God had had taken care of them, delivered them, brought them out of of Egypt. And so, in other words, what God is saying is, I'm going to give you now the laws of my kingdom. I'm going to give them to a people who already have a history with me. They already have a relationship with me. They already recognize me as their Savior because I have saved you and redeemed you out of Egypt. That's who the law is is given uh, to. And now therefore... He, uh, Moses is to declare to them, Now therefore, in light of this history that we have, in light of me, that's the therefore, in light of me being your Savior, now let's talk about obedience. Now therefore, if, that's a conditional word, isn't it? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people For all the earth is mine, and you shall... Be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So he comes in and says, listen, I'm, I'm going to give you some commandments here. I'm going to establish a covenant. I'm going to give you the rules of the kingdom. If you will obey those commandments, then then that you'll be three things to me. Uh, again, a special treasure to me. Um, you know, a people that, you know, I mean, how... How blessed is it to have a treasure? <laughs> I'll take some tonight. I mean, if anybody's got, you know, a box of treasure that they uh, undug, un- some some pirate uh, treasure near back there. Well, treasures, that's a blessing, isn't it? A great thing. So he said, if you obey these, you're going to be a super special treasure to me, something I really value. Um, Uh, even more uh, highly as a blessing to me they would then become as a result of obedience uh, to him a kingdom of priests and the priests of course had a very special access to God and, um, and, and had the responsibility and the privilege of being an influence for God in the world so he says if you obey me that will become your portion also and then he speaks of also being a holy nation the obeying of the law of Moses Moses would make them a people that are holy or different from the wickedness and, and, uh, and, and the sin uh, of the world. And so that's the reason uh, behind it and, and the blessing that obedience would bring to the Lord. And so Moses came and he called for the elders uh, of the people. He laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And then all of the people answered together, saying, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh, until we uh, do that golden calf thing. And then go into the captivity to the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And so I mean, they're very, uh, well, tremendous self-confidence. At this thing. so God comes in and says listen this is the, the kind of I'm, I'm calling for you to be obedient and, and, and to have this kind of a relationship with you they don't even blink they say anything he says we are going to do and they say it before they even receive the law of Moses they can say could we read the contract um, they, they give their AOK uh, right on the front end And so Moses brought back the words of the people uh, to the Lord And the Lord said to Moses Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud That the people may hear when I speak with you And believe you forever And so Moses told the words of the people to the Lord So God says, all right just again as that kind of a, a king from the ancient world would present himself to his new subjects so to speak and, and give them kind of the rules of the kingdom and all, God declares I'm going to make an appearance before my people and uh, and, and, and he gives him the reason why he's going to come down on the mountain uh, Mount Sinai and make that appearance and all and uh, the reason that he's going to do it and, and do it in, in the way that he's going to do it is that when God communicates from the the mount to Moses and all of the events that occur around this appearance of God then the people will realize that Moses is God's spokesman to them And uh, they've been giving him a hard time already, and they're going to continue to do that. But God was trying to drive home the point that this guy is special. He has special authority, and you ought to listen to him. And so Moses, again, as I said, he uh, told the words... of the people uh, to the Lord. And uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So he calls on the people to wash their clothes. He's going to ask them to forego uh, physical relationships with with their wives uh, during the three days, and it 's just a time of them to get themselves kind of ready and with tremendous sobriety uh, to think about our God is going to sh- he 's coming in three days he is going to show up in three days here, and just to, to begin to think about that not. I mean, it would be something, the anticipation related to an earthly king around the world. Wow! I mean, how much coverage does a queen get from England, you know, in the United States and all? But here you have God Almighty, the the creator of the heaven and the earth, the one that delivered us from Egypt, he's coming here in three days. And as they would clean their clothes, they would separate themselves physically from one another in a sexual sense, and it would give them time to just think about this approaching event and, and really... Uh, kind of how uh, wonderful it is. Now notice in verse 11 that Moses declares to them that that on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai. Now the ancient deities, the greatest of the ancient deities, claimed the mountaintops as kind of their domain. That's, uh, that's that was as high as they could go. This mountaintop is, is the mountaintop of Baal. Now here is the God of the children of Israel who comes down to the mountaintop. <laughs> he comes from heaven. He humbles himself to even come to a mountaintop, which is considered the highest place of the false gods. So we're talking about two different categories of gods. you got a real one, and you got a bunch of uh, Legos. But uh, this is the kind of, uh, you know, the difference between them, and even the words uh, bring all of this out. And so you shall set bounds for the people... All around the mountain, saying, "Take heed to yourself that you do not go up on the mountain uh, up to the mountain or touch its base. whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain, but they were not uh, to uh, go up on, on the mountain uh, themselves only." By Moses and a select few were to do that, and only Moses was to go uh, all the way up uh, on, on, the, on the mountaintop. And so they're getting this, uh, basically they're getting a lesson here in in the holiness of God. So here's the message, make yourself holy. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the God of the Bible, uh, the Lord is going to come in three days And the message is don't come even near this mountain His presence will make this mountain so holy That we can't even touch the mountain And the communication is keep your distance Keep your distance And to produce within them an awe for the holiness of God And a respect for the holiness of God. And and so that was a keep your distance. And there was that communication, the great gulf that exists between God and, and man because of sin and all. But that that's the way the Old Testament was, the law. Of Moses was, it just constantly re- reminded them of the distance between them and God. It is very, very effective for producing a fear of God, which is a good thing, a respect and a reverence for God, which is a good thing, a respect for the holiness of God, which is a good thing. But then you go over into the New Testament. In, in the New Covenant because of Jesus. And here are the symbols we're going to be partaking of in just a few minutes of His body and of, of His blood. And the price that was paid for us to have an even more intimate relationship uh, with God and one that allows us not only, uh, does it, it doesn't say to us, you can't approach the mountain at all, but it in the book of Hebrews says that we are able to come anytime day or night to God uh, to approach the throne of grace to receive the grace and mercy that we have in time of need there's only one reason for that and that's because of the greatness of Jesus as our High priest so the Old Testament was keep your distance it was good and that it reinforced holiness and the awesomeness of, of God and all of that. But in the New Testament, uh, in, in the writer of the book of Hebrews he even uses the word, uh, the, the, uh, draw near. We have the invitation to draw near to God, right into His presence, anytime, day or night, not so that He would then, you know, wipe us out or something like that, but always... To dispense mercy and grace to us. That's the greatness of that body and that blood. Allows us. And you think about that. And one day we're going to, those of us who know the Lord, we're going to be there. We're going to see that heavenly scene. Amazing. And we're going to realize, wow. I think there one song we sang this morning. I was thinking about the one section of it. And, um, you know, it's something like, you know, we have hardly kind of grasped this particular truth or aspect of, of things. And, and it's the truth. I mean, we, we do see through a glass darkly. But then one day face to face. And uh, amazing the access that we have. But... Just because we have this incredible access that Jesus has provided for us and the ability to know Him as friend, the ability to approach God uh, in a non-fearful way in prayer and with our needs in a confident way, a bold way. Even the writer of the book of Hebrews says to receive grace and mercy. We should never as New Testament saints ever lose sight of just how holy God is, how worthy of our respect He is, how unspeakably awesome He is. Because if I fail to allow the picture of the Old Testament here of God... And, and, and all to impact me, then it will lessen my appreciation for the price that Jesus paid to open up the kind of relationship that we have with God tonight. It's incredible. Access. Think about it. You and I, as Christians, have immediate access to the throne of Almighty God any day or any time of day, any time of night, to receive grace and mercy. Incredible, the difference between the two covenants. So they're getting a lesson here on on the holiness of of God. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and uh, sanctified the people. They washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a trumpet was very loud so that all of the people who were in the camp Trembled, And then you notice uh, down in... Let's, uh, well, let's just move on to 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended uh, up upon it uh, in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So they come out, God descends to the mountain. Verse 16, there's the thunderings, the lightnings. Uh, By the way, it was interesting. uh, A couple of months ago, remember we had kind of that weird uh, hailstorm? Um, here in Modesto and uh, there was some th- thunder and all and I had uh, uh, two, m- two twin granddaughters were a- at our house and uh, so the hail starts to come down and everything and I said, you know, Vanessa, Tara, come here let's look outside, look at this, hail's coming down was, you know, in the backyard and everything and then all of, the, all of a sudden there was this thunder and I said, uh, come and see the thunder and, uh, and, and everything, and then I caught myself, you know, a few seconds later, and I said, oh, wait, come and see... The, uh, I, no, I said, uh, uh, let's see, what did I say? Uh, so, is it two on the... No, I said, uh, uh, yeah, I said come, and see, come and see the thunder. And I said, oh, wait a second, if you have to see lightning, you listen to thunder. There was no lightning, it was just thunder. So I said, no, wait, come and listen to the thunder, you know. And uh, Vanessa, one of the girls, she just kind of looked down and everything, and she said... Uh, she said, Papa, one time I said that wrong too. And uh, when she's six years old, she said, I, and, and somebody corrected me and it's okay, you know, kind of deal. So I felt very, very good and uh, that I'm still smarter than them in some ways for another year. But, uh, but here's this, you think of it, the mountain, it's now the thunders, the lightning and the thick cloud, so much so, verse 16, they just go into trembling. You ever been in that kind of a deal? Where it just, it's just it's so awesome and incredible. Your body just involuntarily just heads into that. That's even before the earthquake and and the smoke and 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 uh, and fire and and all of that in verse eighteen. Amazing demonstration of of the, the approaching of of the Father. Now here's here's the imagery, here's what's going on. The imagery is, again in the ancient world, when a king would then come to a particular part of, of his kingdom to meet with his subjects, he would always send forerunners in order to gather the attention of the people in a way that would be respectful or proportional for the, for the king and all, uh, to get their attention, to gather them uh, together, these forerunners to announce the coming of the king. And so the Lord uses what no king or no false god can do. He uses what belongs uniquely to him, and that is creation, uh, as forerunners to announce his, his coming uh, presence. And, and so the whole mountain quake uh, uh, greatly. Verse 19, And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and uh, uh, longer. Uh, let's, see, let's see. Sounded long and became louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down. So, all that was just a preview. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up, so the people would get the idea that, okay, Moses is in kind of a camp of one in terms of uh, how God is, is using. Him. We shouldn't give him a, a bad time. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. So the Lord, Moses, comes up on the mount and the Lord realizes what Moses doesn't, and that is those people are going to disobey down there. I mean, he's made it clear as can be. Don't climb the mountain. Don't, you're not allowed to do this. And, and so the Lord realizes they're going, they're going to start coming up on this mountain and they're going to you know, force me to judge them on, on this thing and uh, you need to go down and, and uh, take care uh, uh, of it. Listen, you know, when the Lord warns us of something, there's a reason for it. <laughs> and then notice what Moses does. Moses says to the Lord, The people can't come up to Mount Sinai. You warned us. I mean, you said it. I, it, it surely the, the, this group of people, they'll obey anything you tell them. He said, you, you warned us saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Don't you remember you told them not to come up? So, of course they're not going to come up. And then the Lord said to him, away, um, get down and then come up you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests of the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. He realized what Moses... God doesn't waste his breath when he warns us about certain things. And, and he's saying, go down and take care of it because I know what they're about to do and I don't want uh, to be involved in the problem that it's going to create. I want this to be a good day uh, for, for the people. And so Moses went down to the people and spoke to uh, them and straighten things out. And then in chapter twenty we head into um, the uh, giving of the ten commandments and we'll we'll uh, tear into this in earnest um, next week. But let me let me just read down uh, three verses in this. And the Lord spoke all of these words, saying, "I am the Lord your God." who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So once again you have this situation where God is giving them, going to give them the Ten Commandments, but He's going to give them the Ten Commandments, reminding them that um, it's, it's to be an extension of, they're going to keep it not in order to gain His favor, but because they are already in a relationship with God. We have a history together, I saved you, here's the proper response to having been saved from the bondage. Bondage of Egypt, or from the bondage of sin and the world, and then he starts to give them the Ten Commandments. They have to keep the Ten Commandments as a response to what God has already done for them, not as a means of trying to earn something from God. And the first command that is, is given is, "You shall have no other gods before me." And I go into this simply because I want to introduce communion. Uh, through through this particular commandment. The idea when God gives the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, it isn't the idea that God says, uh, listen, you can have a lot of gods, make sure I'm number one. When he says you shall have no other gods before me, it means no other gods except me. No other gods in my Presence. The great temptation for the children of Israel would not be that they would just throw off the Lord completely and... Uh, you know, not claim any level, uh, level of allegiance to Him at all. The great danger that God recognized with the children of Israel is that they would worship Him while at the same time allowing many other gods into their life that would then steal their heart supremely uh, as being supremely toward Him. And so He says, no, there's not to be any other gods in my presence I am to be the master passion of your life period I don't share my people with anybody else now Jesus brings out very much the same thing when he was asked about what is the greatest commandment in in the law he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And he repeats the word all four times. And the second commandment is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the whole idea, it's its just the first commandment all over again. The whole idea is this heart, this mind, this life as a Christian is to be given completely and entirely to Him. There should be no competition in terms of Him, me being able to say at any moment and any time in my life as a professing Christian, He is not only the master passion of my life, He is the only master passion of my life. And, and, and one of the things that I want to do is why does the worship team come forward right now and the men come forward too for, for the uh, partaking of communion?